Welcome, friends, to Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast, where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. I am your co-host, Amber Brown, and today I am joined by my host, Curtis Kapatik. We also have Forrest Richardson, the Director of Safety with Fit for Work, here with us talking about misconceptions regarding OSHA. So here's a quick hitter with Forrest Richardson. One of my favorite things to do is to take care of misconceptions, so we're grateful to have Forrest to talk about these misconceptions about OSHA. Now, that first misconception that you wanted to talk about was this idea that people have that OSHA enforcement, that it's about OSHA being right or wrong. What do you mean by that? How is it that OSHA enforcement is not out to be right or wrong? Yeah, I was going to start with right, but <laughs> that's probably the wrong answer to start <laughs> with. But, but no, it's a great question. It's a common misconception. Uh, and again, in all these back and forth, you know, there is, you know, the right of, against the law and, and the black and white of it all. But the OSHA Act or the law of 1970 protecting employees wouldn't pass until businesses got certain assurances that that there was going to be a checks and balance system on what was feared to be a excessive bureaucracy like OSHA. So way back when, in 1970, you know, when they were still formulating how how this was all going to work, there was obviously a great fear of, you know, the government is going to be looking over my shoulder everywhere. So, and we've mentioned in previous podcasts about the Occupational Health and Safety Review Commission or the OSHARC it's coming on. And there are three panel judges that kind of litigate all these arguments when OSHA comes in and says, okay, well, you are alleged to have done this. And then the employer says, well, we don't think so. So they kind of arbitrate it. And that, that's kind of what they do. That's their, their balance in kind of litigating those arguments between employers and OSHA citations. But back in 1991, in a case called Martin Steel Court v. Oshark, it removed that assurance. And the ruling basically stated that the Oshark can't second guess OSHA's legal interpretations unless they are unreasonable, not wrong, but unreasonable. So unreasonable was kind of their burden of proof that they had to get over that hump. And proving that OSHA's legal position is unreasonable in any specific case is difficult. I mean, you know, there's some cases where you can, but it's it's a challenge. And even when they are unreasonable. So when when is it worth fighting OSHA in court? Well, they often say, number one, when the facts of the case are in dispute. So OSHA says one thing. And the facts themselves of that alleged violation are in dispute. There's like, that's not what happened. Or two is more important in the case and currently kind of going on is the law is in dispute and your lawyer, your lawyer knows enough about OSHA law to prove that OSHA's interpretation on that alleged violation is not only wrong, but unreasonable. And you see kind of that going on with the current vaccine mandates, you know, what's going on with the Fifth Circuit Court, and they're kind of fighting all that stuff out right now. That's a great um, example there, Forrest. And it sounds like this is kind of all legalese where it comes down to a technicality and and not necessarily, you know, that black and white, right and wrong, but unreasonable. The uh, second misconception you wanted to talk today was that OSHA's enforcement, it's all about that hazard. Can you tell us more about that misconception? Sure, sure. You know, as often as the case, especially for what, like, say, catastrophic uh, citations that involve some kind of catastrophic injury or fatality, this is kind of where the lines get blurred because often they think they violated a standard, and by violating that standard just on its merit, that's what caused the accident. So that's where it gets kind of convoluted. But that's a common misconception and, and one that the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission often deals with. But it's that OSHA must prove that the violation they cited presented a hazard. And this is not always true. It's only true if the cited hazard or the cited standard uses the word hazard or a similar word 
where OSHA alleges a violation of the general duty clause, the 501 clause, which actually uses the word hazard. You know, the employer shall provide a a place of employment free from known and, and foreseeable hazards. And I'm paraphrasing there, but it's in there. Or if the standard would be considered unconstitutionally vague. So, you know, they wrote something in black and white and based on kind of what's going on, you know, it doesn't really deal with that situation. Now, although an employer may try to show that no hazard existed, and that's commonly what they call an affirmative defense, when you see that in kind of the legalese and in OSHA regulations, it's often difficult to do. So every OSHA standard was eventually written in, in somebody's blood. And when you think about it, somebody got hurt enough. And, and it's a viewpoint that OSHA and, and lawyers and, and the judges know very well. This may be why over the years that over the last few decades, OSHA's implemented regulatory requirements that are more program or procedure focused like lockout, tagout, or process safety management of highly hazardous chemicals, often known as the PSM standard. That's it's a really deep one. And then permit required confined space is another one where you see the way they wrote the regulations is more programmatic. It has those elements about, okay, roles, responsibilities, training, auditing, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah, not the happiest way to think about the history of OSHA as somebody's blood was involved, but uh, that's how I think most uh, house rules are come up with, too, by parents. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, and, and dental bills, yeah. Right, yeah. Exa- yep. So the, the last and final one we wanted to talk about is the, the misconception about OSHA enforcement is that it's all about the accident when they're talking with you. So how is it not all about the accident and how is this different than the hazard? Yeah, well, they're kind of interdependent, you know, because it gets kind of alluded about, okay, well, you know, which came first, the hazard, the chicken or the egg or the accident. But OSHA citations legally enforced are by design supposed to allege a violation. So when an OSHA uh, inspector comes in, they're basically at that point, regardless of what they write you on the door on the way out, you know, that's an alleged violation. It hasn't been proved. That's really up to the area director when they turn in the reports and on the back end stuff. So again, just, you know, they're alleged violations by employers of a specific OSHA standard and not specifically injury causation. But when there is, say, blood on the floor, the coal or the sea, as I like to say, OSHA officials are human and the lawyers that litigate these cases are trying to win their case. I mean, that's the real world, you know, the difference between the real and the feel. And more serious violations are often compounded by that error, you know, where it gets kind of convoluted about which came first, the chicken or the egg. And it can make basically make the whole thing kind of exponentially more serious, you know, in terms of how do you crawl through all that stuff. And the Oshark that we've mentioned clarified in the legal case years ago that the issue is not the cause of the accident. And this is very important. It's a very important case, but whether the standard has been violated. And if you'd like to look that up or our listeners would like to look that up, it's Propolex Corp uh, 1999. So this kind of makes that whole power of prevention in every aspect of risk management strategy really, really important. I mean, from post-offer testing and hiring the right people to managing those, what's really more case in terms of injury cost and the associated costs that go with that is musculoskeletal soft tissue injuries. People are getting their sprains and strains. And, you know, yes, there are people falling out of the racks or off of buildings or getting struck by big lift trucks and things like that, but that doesn't happen as much. Obviously, it's not something you want to turn a blind eye to, but having that power of prevention mindset about from, you know, before they ever get into the door 
to right when they get on the floor. It's the best practice to follow. And the rest is really up to the legal eagles to debate on the merits of each case. And what you find is when you have a really good, solid plan before they ever come through the door from a, from a hiring standpoint, all the way through to management on the floor, you really don't need to worry about so much of the, the legal liability cases because you've already addressed a large majority of them. So it gets easier, kind of like correcting your children, you know, after a while, you know, you don't have to do it as much because they understand where the rules are and you're not dealing with all that stuff. So if anything, these misconceptions should put our listeners and site safety people and everybody who's thinking about OSHA's mind at ease, because if you're doing what you can on site to prevent that injury or making sure the standards are upheld, then, you know, accidents happen essentially is what that's saying, right, Forrest? You can't bubble wrap everything. And again, you know, we're not a fear-based organization by design, you know, fit for work, all of us, you know, we look at, we try to provide balance with everything and help, help employers make the best educated decision they can about each aspect of their overall risk and safety health programs processes is what I like to say. So yeah, if you have a program in place and you can show due diligence and good faith that you've been doing those things, it's not that it's going to prevent you. It's like the ozone layer. It's got holes in it. You know, you still got a little bit of UV coming in in certain areas, and but it also helps you address those specific areas and focus your limited resources on those areas of significant risk. So while it's not a bulletproof vest, so to speak, it goes a long way to helping you on the back end prove your case if things go sideways. And again, it's about the people. The compliance just kind of happens when you're doing the right things at the right time for the right reasons and you stay consistent. So it's not perfect. The goal is not perfection because I don't know any place that's perfect because it's all full of us. And we have that human, what I call the human F factor, the, the fail factor. So that's an unrealistic expectation. But doing the right things for the right reasons consistently will, will get you way further down the road in terms of production efficiencies, cost efficiencies, retention, training to retain, demonstrating you care, all of that stuff. It's all wrapped up into that. Well, that was a really great sum up. And I think these three misconceptions uh, are really going to help a lot of people. So we appreciate your time for us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Had fun. It was a great quick episode here with covering those top three misconceptions about OSHA. And really, I think the overall general message is, is that OSHA is not the big bad boogeyman. They are an organization also filled with humans and they do have checks and balances. And I love that about the country that we live in is that no one person can go in and screw everything up for everybody else. We have a system where if you as a human are a part of it, there are things to make sure that you can't take it in a direction it's not meant to go. To know that there is a safety division wing, that OSHARC, the Occupational Health and Safety Review Commission, great resource just for every business to know that it exists and it's there for you and to weigh everything and look at what is your intentions and what, what were you trying to accomplish from what has occurred if there is a hazard or there's an accident. We want to thank Forrest Richardson and also want to thank you for listening to this episode of Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast, where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. Please like and subscribe wherever you listen. And to get started preventing injuries, please visit our website, wellworkforce.com. And remember, prevention improves lives.